This episode of the Thrive Life Podcast is presented to you by Roar Alexander, powered by Thrive Life International and home of the Thrive Life Challenge. Get ready to discover everything you want to know about fitness, nutrition, and optimized healthy lifestyle hacks to help you truly earn your Thrive Life. Also, be sure to keep up with War at www.waralexander.com and share the Thrive Life podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or the Thrive Life podcast page on Facebook. Now, with no further delay, let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Thrive Life Podcast. I'm your host, Roy Alexander. We've got a great show cut up for you today. I'm really looking excited. I've been uh, wanting to discuss this one for quite a while. I've had the notes sitting now on my uh, dresser here for about uh, two weeks. Uh, been kind of making little changes here and there and fixing them up, but it's something that I've really wanted to get out to you guys for quite a while now. Um, so I'm very excited to get this uh, to get this podcast going for you. But we'll talk about that in a few minutes. One of the first things I want to do is I just want to play a little bit of catch up. This is the first podcast that I have coming out of 2018. So it's a little bit late, but happy new year to everybody. And one of my new year's resolutions, I have a couple. I've talked about resolu- resolutions before, and I don't have your typical style of resolutions. There's nothing that I'm trying to, uh, you know, just uh, uh, kind of quantifiably fix. But what I am going to do is I've decided to... There's a few th- spots of my life that I'm going to work on fixing. And one of those is that I get things out um, on time when they're supposed to come out. So you know this podcast is supposed to come out every other Tuesday. So twice a month, every other Tuesday. Right now, I'm getting out maybe one every three weeks, sometimes even one a month. Um, so that's got to change. i got to fix that. The last one with Dr. Octario Rettig, that came out almost a month ago now, I think. So I've been, I've been quite behind and been very bad at that. So I have to fix that. So one of my resolutions is really to try to get my consistency up. The other thing that I'm trying to do, and I'm actually going to do a, a, maybe a podcast, but probably a blog about this later, is the three kinds of people that are out there and I recognize that I am a number two. Um, So basically, really quickly, there's three kinds of people. You have the biggest, biggest proportion of people who don't do anything. That means people who are just, they don't start anything, they don't finish anything, they just don't even attempt to do anything. They just wake up, they do their job, they do their day to day, uh, and they get on with their lives. So um, that was, you know, that unfortunately is probably like 95% of the people. I mean, the fact is, there's very few creators out there. There's a lot of people who are intakers, meaning we take in the stuff that other people create, but there's very few creators. Then we get to the second kind of person. This is where I fit in. I have a very good and slash bad habit of developing a lot of great ideas. I come up with tons of great ideas and I get things rocking, I get things moving. But when it gets to kind of the boring parts or the parts that require a lot of logistics, things tend to fall off the wagon. So in other words, I'm a person who starts things, but I'm very terrible at finishing them and seeing them through, uh, which is a part of the consistency. You know, when you come up with a great idea for a podcast, for instance, you're excited about it. You start doing some research into it. Um, but then comes the part where you got to, you know, hook everything up and you got to type all the notes in order. And that part just is not as much fun. Um, so, you know, the, the coming up, the idea is fun. Talking like I am right now is fun. But the stuff in the middle, uh, it's just not that much fun. So I have to fix that. And of course, the third kind of person 
uh, is, you know, is what I'd like to become, which is the creator slash finisher, you know? So I guess you have your stagnant, you have your stagnant people who just do nothing. And then you have your starters where I am, and then you have your finisher. So I have to uh, work, instead of being just a starter, I have to be a finisher as well and a consistent finisher. So my big thing for this year. So let's talk now about a couple other things that I got. I have some great podcasts. Now saying that I've been slacking on the podcast is not true. I've actually been collecting some great interviews, which I'm going to bring to you guys. My goal is to get um, two or three podcasts ahead so I don't get behind. That'll give me extra time. So now I have at least uh, another month after this a podcast ahead. So the next podcast is going to be with uh, Julia Plevin. Julia Plevin is um, she's the founder of the Forest Bathers Club in California. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about forest bathing in this podcast, but we're only going to really just touch on it very small because uh, obviously we have an entire you know you know forty-five to hour-long minute podcast. Um, coming up on that in the very next podcast. So I don't want to ruin it all for you right now. Now, another one that I just did, I'm super excited about, is I had Kate Deering. Kate Deering is the author of How to Heal Your Metabolism. She's going to be coming on and she's going to be talking about why you don't want to be doing all this fasting stuff that everybody's doing right now and how you don't want to be all ketogenic and all, uh, you know, Dave Asprey's uh, lapdog here. So she's going to come on and she's going to tell us a lot of the myths when it comes to to dieting and keeping your metabolism going and it's probably a lot of it is probably the opposite of what you think so that should be very exciting now also down on the pipeline I have a man named Anoop Thomas Anoop Thomas is kind of the creator artistic slash um, I don't even know I guess he's he created and developed a lifestyle town in India. So that's really interesting. You've of course all heard about resorts and retreats. You can go on these detox retreats. You can go all these places where, uh, you know, you go to get healthy. Well, this is an entire township by Bangalore, India that he has developed all based on wellness. So that is really exciting. I've never seen anything like that, but I honestly think this is going to be the trend, particularly in the West and in more that your first world countries. Um, and your forward-thinking countries when it comes to health, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more, not just, you know, a, a fitness center and health centers in local communities, but actually creating entire communities that are based around being green, based on being uh, environmentally friendly, based on movement, based on health, that can have gardens and you know, outdoor areas that really motivate you to get exercising. So that's going to be really awesome. Um, and then another one that I have coming up in February is going to be Dr. Ann Steinemann. Dr. Ann Steinemann, she's from Australia. She's going to be coming on. And we are going to be talking about air pollution and toxins in the home. She's done a lot of great studies on uh, that sort of stuff. And some of these things are going to be really eye-opening, I think. You are going to realize how many toxins are in your home and when you're taking going out for your, you know, your nice walks. And it's really going to make you think uh, about what you can do to help fix that. Now, saying that... If you have not checked out my home sick home fix RX video, please go to www.roaralexander. That's just R O R Alexander.com. You're going to see a tab at the top there, right on the top, called the Sick Home RX. Go there and check that out. That is about how to find all these toxins in your home. Now, that's part one. 
that just goes over all the different toxins that are in your home and why they're negative. And then from there, we move on to parts two and three, which is part of my newsletter. So make sure you sign up for that. Part two and three, we're gonna be actually targeting where these chemicals are in your home. So now that you know what they are and you know what they do, we're gonna now look at where are they and then part three is simple home hacks that we can do to improve your health even more. So depending on the level you want to take your health to, you may just want to get rid of a few of the toxins or you may want to go all in and just try to get rid of as much as you can and make your home as green and as sick free as possible. Now, I am also very happy to announce that my Fiverr uh, 10 week transformation program is going to be on sale this week on Fiverr.com. If you don't know what Fiverr.com is, Fiverr.com is basically an online marketplace where you can hire people to do very inexpensive services for you, such as design logos, maybe help edit your podcast, uh, do proofreading, anything like that. But what another part of it is people sell things on there quite often, things like eBooks, things like online programs, stuff like that. But the best part about Fiverr.com is it's extremely cheap. Why do you think it's called Fiverr.com? Well, because everything starts at $5. So on there, I'm going to have three options for my 10 week body transformation challenge. There's going to be your $5 one, which is basically gets you your home in home and in gym. So you're going to get two. You're going to get 10 week body transformation for those of you that love working out, you know, with the heavy metal and going to the gym. And then there's going to be the ones for uh, the, the in home for those of you that just want to train at home. We're just a pair of dumbbells and a band. Uh, and that's about it. I think there may be a towel in there. So really just basically your at home stuff. I mean, you have to have a little bit of equipment. You just can't literally use nothing. So if you, if you don't want to go buy yourself a pair of, you know, 10 pound dumbbells and a $3 band, then I can't really help you. But if you're willing to invest, you know, um, if you're willing to invest 50 bucks into your health, um, to get some equipment, then that's going to be a great program for you. Now, like I said, that's $5. Now for $10 and $15, you'll see there's a ton of bonus stuff, including some of my eBooks called how to, uh, how to cook better, where I discussed all the different, um, basically all the different stuff when it comes to healthy cooking. I go through oils a bit. I go through um, methods of cooking. So there's gonna be tons of great stuff in there. Now I know how to sleep better. Where I talk about all my top hacks and tips for getting a better night's sleep, which of course, you know, if you listen to this podcast, read my blogs is extremely important. And then finally, I believe there's also, uh, what else is there? There's a third book in there. Uh, yes, now I know how to travel better with all my travel hacks and tips. As you know, I travel all around the world teaching courses to fitness trainers and teaching workshops to the public. So I have learned probably better than 99.9% .9 of people out there how to travel healthy and how to travel well. And I put all those tips inside of that as well. And then there's some other bonus material you get in there as well. So again, this is five, 10 and $15. I mean, the top one is only 15 bucks. So, you know, make sure you definitely check that on uh, fiverr.com. Now, another thing too, $5 from every purchase, every purchase from $5.com, my programs on there from fiverr.com, I should say, goes towards the Thrive Life Initiative. As you will know, or you may not know, that is the charity that I've started this year so I can start building outdoor physical activity areas for 
uh, in different communities, you know. So I, I really want to get people, A, outside, and I want to get people moving more. Uh, and C, if I can get them to kick their shoes off and walk around barefoot too while they're outside and moving more, that's even better. So we're going to start with things, simple things like, you know, like Chinese reflexology footpaths, which I've seen all over the place on my travels here through Asia. Um, but the goal is, you know, to start building things more like outdoor recreational parks or hosting workshops or hosting outdoor workouts where I can start having different fitness professionals and actually can start giving them money to go out there and get involved with the community. So real big aspect, guys, on making our communities healthier, making our communities move, getting people outside, get some of that sun, some vitamin D, some negative ions, okay? So that's why I really love the uh, podcast as well with... Um, with Julia Plevin. So that's going to be really great because we talk about forest bathing exercise. We talk about everything, which is really what the Thrive Initiative is all about. Um, also, I have coming out very soon, not, not as soon as Fiverr. Like I said, the Fiverr program is out this week, but I also have a program that you're probably going to love called Be Your Own Trainer. This is an online program where I'm going to teach you everything and more that I teach my personal training candidates from around the world. I have worked, as you know now, for two uh, uh, international fitness certification bodies, one Canadian, now currently American, and I am going to be teaching you everything that these guys learn, but also a lot more because you see why I'm limited when I teach these courses to what is in the books. I have to obey, you know, follow the lines that are in the books, but when I'm teaching you this other stuff, I can teach you a lot of hacks and tricks and little tips that I have learned over my, what, 20, 24 years now in the fitness industry and 14 years now, at least in the professionally certified fitness industry. Like you all know, I got into fitness and health when I was about 18 or 19, but I ended up getting my professional fitness certification. I believe it was around 28 years old. So been doing this for quite a while. So be your own trainer. That's going to be offered through uh, the Udemy platform, which is an online learning platform. So make sure you uh, guys stick around and um, you make sure you check that out. Uh, I'll let you know. I'll give you more updates as it gets closer. That's going to be, again, not out for about a, a month, maybe more. I'm aiming to get it out sometime around the middle of February, end of February. I don't want to be too late because I do want to help you guys that are looking for, um, you know, that are in your body transformation programs right now. Uh, sorry, I should say your resolutions because um, it's just, you know, the, the best pill uh, you could ever take is education. So um, in the meantime, why don't you do this? Why don't you go to fiverr.com, pick up the 10 week body transformation where I just tell you what to do. And then when be your own trainer comes out, you can actually go and see why I've told you to do it. I guess the two of them actually uh, really work together quite well. Now that I think about it, the last thing I want to talk about before we get on to today's, um, podcast is just to uh, follow me in some of my writing. I have uh, been writing now for two, uh, additional magazines uh, one in india called stay fit india where we're covering my eight pillars of health through uh, thrive life if you don't know what those are then make sure that you uh, make sure you uh, check that out on my website i believe i um, i uplink the uh, articles as they come out or will be anyways it's uh, the first month i'll be writing for them so that's exciting but i'm going to do at least nine articles with them the very first one just recently came out where I roughly cover the nine and now what happens is during the next eight articles, I'm going in depth into each one of my pillars of a thrive life. And then also writing for Bambi, which is a local expat um, magazine here in Thailand. 
uh, that goes out to all, uh, all the expats and all the foreigners in the international schools. So that's going to be really great too. And then on top of the other magazines, of course, I'm writing for. And then you have my blogs at the, at the Long Game Blogs. Uh, you can also find it at RoarAlexander.com. My tale of two grandpas uh, is coming out. And uh, this podcast actually relates to that a bit. So definitely make sure you check out A Tale of Two Grandpas. And make sure you tell me which grandpa or grandma that you want to be when you're older. I think I know which one I want to be. But I'd like to hear from you which one you'd like to be. Also, a couple other recent ones you may want to check out is my Break the E-Wheel, where I talk about my complete cold turkey cutoff to social media. And I was even talking to some friends, and these are friends that are on the ball. These are friends that are on it. These are friends that are going places. Even they have realized their Facebook and social media addiction. So trust me, if you don't think you are addicted to Facebook and social media, you you, you don't even understand that you're addicted to Facebook and social media. You haven't even realized it yet. Fact is, we all are. So do yourself a favor, cut it, cut it right now. Remember about, what was it, only eight or nine years ago, maybe 10 years ago when those things didn't exist? Ask yourself, is your life any better because of social media? So I have cut off social media almost about, I'll say 90%. I still take a peek on there every now and then, but now I go on there. Um, it's not automatic. Now I choose to go on there. There's only a couple of days a week. Sometimes Sunday mornings, I like to take a quick peek. Um, I think I've only been on Facebook maybe looking at it four times in the last three weeks. Uh, what I am doing instead, though, is I am being a creator and I'm uploader. So instead of uh, intaking other people's content, I am only giving content. So definitely make sure you check out that article uh, as well. For those of you that may or may not know, I am moving back to the Canadian West Coast, back to the beautiful Pacific Ocean city of Vancouver. Looking forward to that. Got some big plans coming up for Vancouver too. Vancouver, Canada, I should say, you are in trouble. I am coming back with my seven years of travel throughout Asia behind me, my experiences and all the different stuff and the amazing people that I have learned from. I am bringing it back to you. I am telling you, especially health and fitness industry in Vancouver, West Coast, all Canada, you are in some serious trouble when I get there. So Hope you're prepared for that. Looking forward to that. So uh, my article, though, The Fear Cycle Begins Again, is a great article I wrote talking about how everybody is trying to plop their fears of the unknown on me. And if you have fears of the unknown that are keeping you down, then you better do something about that right away. Uh, and then finally, just for fun, I am going to be talking. I did an article about Pandan. Pandan is my favorite Asian secret superfood. You got to check that out. And I'm going to be doing something with Pandan back in Canada as well. So honestly, I cannot say enough about Pandan. It is so good. Also known as Asia's vanilla. So you guys got to make sure you check that out. Except it is a super, super food. So make sure you guys uh, check out that article too. Tell me what you think. So on with today's podcast. Like I said, today we are talking about walking and I would like to start with a quote. I would like to start with a quote from the grandfather, the father, the godfather of medicine. And that's, yes, that's our man, uh, Hippocrates. And this is a quote from him from a little over 2,000 years ago. Let's see what he has to say. This guy's got a lot of knowledge, um, and it's funny that we're only catching up now. Uh, I guess you could say that we're kind of slow learners, at least in the West. In, um, in a lot of parts of Asia, um, there's quite a few things that they're, uh, they're not so slow as we are, but we're pretty slow. So walking is a man's best 
medicine. That is from Hippocrates from 2,000 years ago. Let me repeat that again. Walking is a man's best medicine. Now, this is really interesting timing because I was, I was talking to a friend who went up to visit her grandmother uh, this Christmas. And uh, her grandmother's in her 90s, you know, in the medium to decent health. I, will, I would say good, very good health for somebody in their 90s. Of course, when you're in your 90s, you're not going to be, you know, you're not running marathons and, you know, you're not going in Spartans anytime too soon. But we have a grandmother who's in extremely good shape. And my friend asked her about, you know, her exercise and about what she does and how she's managed to stay so fit and so healthy for this long. And the grandma's answer was this. She said, the best advice that a doctor ever gave me was to just walk more. That's it. There was no other advice given, nothing else. She didn't talk about medication. She didn't talk about any sort of diet, uh, diet advice, and no, no nutritional advice, nothing like that. No, no machines you hook up to yourself so you can watch things. All he told her to do was walk more. So every day she tries to make sure that she does a few laps. I don't know whether it was laps of the property or just laps of the house. I cannot remember, but she goes out of her way to make sure she's getting in extra steps. And I think this really, really says something. So we can't, you know, you might be sitting there thinking it's not a big deal. Well, we have somebody in their 90s who's telling you it is a big deal. So we should be listening. Now, let's get on to my grandma because I have a grandmother too who makes walking a very important part of her life. Now, this grandma, she lives in British Columbia. She actually lives on a horse ranch. She doesn't have horses anymore because they take a lot of work and a lot of money, you know, to, to have horses, particularly when you have horses for really no reason. When you're, you know, if you're not into racing horses or having a reason for horses, then just having them as, you know, just gigantic dogs uh, really, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of extra work that you probably don't want to do when you're in your late 80s, um, mid-late 80s. I'm not actually exactly sure of how old she is, but let's just say, let's say it to be on the safe side, at least 86. Now, she takes a ton of walks. She walks all the time. She's extremely active and extremely, she is not overweight. She is not heavy. She's actually, if you could say anything, she's on the thin side. She's, she's vegetarian. Uh, she's very much about exercise. I said she lives up there in the forest uh, on a small mountain in Victoria. And one of the interesting things that she does is she drives into town a couple times a week and she visits the old age home where she sees a lot of the adults, the, the seniors who are the exact opposite of her. And what she does is she takes them out for walks and she just tries to get them moving. So we really have to understand that walking is extremely important. And in fact, I was listening to a podcast just today uh, where Dr. Uh, Choprak, he was talking about uh, the importance of just walking. And they are asking him what kind of exercise he thinks people should start, uh, Dr. Chopra. And he just said, just walk for now. You know, just get out there and start walking. People really underestimate walking. And, you know, we've been so focused for years now on pushing exercise, focused exercise um, as a solution for our largely sedentary lifestyle. But research is suggesting, however, that that exercise, that focused, hard CrossFit Metcon workout you're doing, that hit you're doing, it just does not counteract the fact that you are sitting too long. It is not about a short time with a lot of movement, okay, to stay healthy. It's about 
movement over longer periods. So I would rather see you walk more feet, more steps, more hours in the day than I'd want to see you just sit down all day and then go to one intense hour of exercise. The movement is the key, not sitting and not being in just one spot. In fact, I'm recording to you right now this podcast Uh, I will take a picture and I will send it. This podcast is set up at a standing desk. So I'm actually standing right now. And as I'm standing, I kind of, I just kind of wiggle my hips back and forth. I lean from side to side, from my left side to my right side. And then down below, I actually have this Thai coconut. Uh, It's basically just a piece of wood with a a coconut cut in half. And the the coconut shells have been glued to it. And you can just step on that and just kind of get your your feet activated. Just starts working into those, uh, the tendons and the muscles on the bottom of your feet. And it just feels so good. So just making sure that we're standing more and getting more movement. Now, I've talked about this before too. Just don't stand in one space, you know. I will be doing lots of stretching all day. I go back and forth between sitting, standing, and taking walks. And I start every single morning now with a walk. Even today, every day I get out there. Sometimes it's a 10-minute walk. Sometimes it's a 15-minute walk. It doesn't really matter as long as I get moving. Now, speaking, however, of how long we should be walking for... Let's just take a look at what some of the researchers say. Well, researchers at the University of Cambridge tell us that even just 20 minutes a day of walking cuts your risk of premature death by almost 33%, while one brisk walk a day is enough to cut the risk of early death by as much as 15%, according to Public Health England. So there we go. Just walking briskly, now it's not even a run, this is not a jog, this is a brisk walk, just for 15 minutes a day is enough to cut your risk of death by 15%, and Cambridge tells us that 20 minutes a day of walking cuts it by almost a third. However, we have to understand, we have to know that Basic physical activity, just as basic walking, eludes so many people, and no doubt it eludes you. And now, physical activity is the fourth leading risk factor for global mortality, according to the World Health Organization. And interestingly, in a study by researchers at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, they found that the average American teenager is no more active than the average 60-year-old. That is pretty bad. So the average 16-year-old is no more active than the average 60-year-old. So now that we know that, let's go over some more statistics. So the average American actually spends 9 to 10 hours of their day sitting And certain occupations, such as telecommunications employees, spend an average of 12 hours of sitting each day. Now, when you add that to our typical seven to eight hours of sleep, we have 18 to 20 hours of static, non-moving positioning. This is terrible. Think about that. 24 hours in a day and for between 18 and 20 of that you are not moving this is not setting us up for anything very positive now across the ocean a study from the public health england has found that four out of 10 middle-aged adults or six million brits 
are failing to manage even one brisk 10-minute walk per month. They are not, 6 million people are not even getting a 10-minute walk in an entire month. And of course, this increases uh, the risks of developing a ton of medical issues. And we're going to go over a lot of that stuff, medical issues that can be stopped or can be slowed down or can be prevented just by going for that boring, underestimated, average, casual, can't really do you any good walk. But first I want to talk about steps because there's some really interesting statistics on steps. Now later on, I'm going to be touching on the 10,000 steps you all know about. So this is not uh, a get your 10,000 steps. And in fact, we're going to see that uh, that's not even true, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't want to get into that. So let's, let's jump out of there. So let's start with the good old US of A, where the average person does roughly 4,774 steps per day. Now, Canada, we are not doing any better. Very well, okay, we're doing a little bit better. We are 45 steps ahead of the average American. So that is not saying much. So I'm gonna say we're doing the exact same. 45 steps ahead when we're talking in thousands isn't even 0.01%. So we're just gonna leave it at that. Americans and Canadians, we're getting in uh, less than 5,000 steps. Now, don't feel too bad about that because the world average is a lowly 4,961 steps. So across the world, when we add it all up, the world itself is doing extremely bad. And we're going to talk about some countries that are doing even worse than us in North America. However, before we get into that, I want to go to the positive side and I want to talk about countries that are doing well. And then this is where we get, of course, back to Asia. Now, What's really interesting about Asia though, is there's a real split here between the two Asia. So one Asia, which is called Northwest Asia, that comprises Hong Kong, Macau, China, Japan, Korea. That's kind of what you think about when we think more about our, um, our first world, our, our Asian superpowers. You know, when we're getting into it, we think of Hong Kong, we think of modern, uh, Macau, modern, Taiwan, modern. Um, you know, Japan, Korea, I mean, like I've talked about before in Korea, they have, a, they, they were one of the first ones to adopt CrossFit hardcore. Uh, four years ago, they had over 50 boxes just in Seoul. I don't even know where they're at right now. Um, so that is Northwest Asia and they are doing very well. Hong Kong on the global scale came out at number one with just under 7,000 steps per day and China and Japan coming in just slightly under them. We're talking within one or two hundred. So Japan, and of course, we all know about Japan. Japan's that country that has one of the longest longevity uh, life scales in the world, not just Okinawa, Okinawa even more so, but Japan itself uh, based on their diet and based on they just do things right over there for the most part when it comes to their health. Um, but surprisingly, China, China was right there on the top as well. Now, on the flip side, we have Southeast Asia. Now, Southeast Asia, those are countries uh, more like your, um, you know, Indonesia, the Philippines, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, all those sorts of countries, um, kind of the lower end, the lower rung um, Asian countries, you know, the, the, let's just call it what they are, the third world poorer countries. Now, 
they are doing very, very badly. Um, just so you know, let's take a look. Indonesia came in at the worst on the planet Earth with only 3,513 steps, followed by Malaysia at 3,963, and then the Philippines, Thailand, they were all in that extremely bad area as well. So Southeast Asia is doing a terrible job when it's coming to movement uh, and just coming to just getting out there and just taking steps. So definitely want to, uh, if you're living in those countries, you better be wanting to take up those steps. And a little bit later, like I said, we're going to be talking about how many steps we actually need to take. So now one of the most interesting things, though, that was found on this study, um, because what they wanted to do is they wanted to look at obesity and the number of steps taken. And, and really, if you think about it, the math should work like this. You live in a place where everybody has a high number of steps. Everybody should be um, less obese. The obesity should not be a problem in countries that have more steps. But that turned out not to be true. In fact, the number, average number of steps taken in each country had very little impact on predicting obesity rates. So what? What are we talking about there? So what now what we're saying is that the, even, even if your country had high amounts of steps, it did not correlate to levels of obesity. But what they did find was something that was called activity inequality, which is essentially the disparity between the most active people in a country and its most inactive. So another way you can think of this is countries where people you have a large division of people who are activity rich versus activity poor and um, in countries that had the lowest obesity rates people mostly walked a similar amount per day so all people walking around the same whether it was men and women so for instance i'll give you an example some of the countries that came in really, really low, one of the worst ones was Saudi Arabia. Now, Saudi Arabia, as we all know, is not one of those hot vacation spots where most people want to be taking a vacation. Um, and Saudi Arabia, what they found was that women have a significantly low average of steps and the men have a much higher number of steps. So there's a huge gap between um, that the steps taken by men or the, the physical activity taken between men and women. But, and I think this says something, you know, something about our socioeconomics as well. I mean, we, we have to look into this because what are the other countries that came out with really bad activity inequality? Well, besides Saudi Arabia, where we know they have a lot of problems when it comes to that sort of stuff, is Canada, Australia, and the USA. Now, I couldn't find anything that was basically saying that people who had more money did a lot of steps and people who were poor probably did less. But my guess is that's going to be it. But I just find it interesting that Saudi Arabia, um, which has a very clear sexual discrimination bias, um, was all in the same category as Canada, the Australia, and the USA. So not really sure what that's saying, but it's definitely something, you know, that we need to be thinking about. It's definitely something that we have to take a look at. Now, 
I want to talk for a few minutes too about DNA health because walking affects us, physical activity affects us, you know, not just in our energy levels and making our clothes feel good, but it affects us right down to that cellular, microcellular, mitochondrial level. And what I want to talk about is uh, two things in particular. We're going to talk about epigenetics and telomeres. So let's kick it off with talking about epigenetics because a lot of people don't really know quite what that is. So epigenetics is a process by which the operation of genes is changed. However, the DNA itself is not changed. Epigenetic changes occur on the outside of the gene through a process called methylation. Now in methylation, clusters of atoms, which are called methyl groups, attach to the outside of a gene like little microscopic mollusks, and they make the gene more or less able to receive and respond to biochemical signals from the body. So you almost think of it like, kind of think of it like a force field and uh, depending on the way the force field is set up, the gene may or may not be able to receive messages from the body properly. And then, of course, can may or may not respond in an optimal manner. Now, we know that methylation patterns change in response to lifestyle. Things like eating certain diets or being exposed to environmental pollutions, uh, they change the methylation patterns on some of our genes and affect what proteins these genes express. And then depending on which genes are involved, this may also affect our health and risk for disease. So in a study published in Epigenetics, scientists at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm took 23 healthy men and women and brought them into the lab for a series of tests measuring exercise and physical performance, including a muscle biopsy. So they had, um, they had them exercise half of their lower bodies in three months on stationary bikes. So how do they do that? Well, they just had them cycle, but only using one leg so they could look at the two legs independently. They could look at the leg that's been doing all the exercising and they could look at the other one that has not been uh, getting any exercise. Now, interesting findings. Besides the obvious thing that we all know is that the one leg got stronger. There were, however, very interesting changes within the DNA cells themselves. The researchers determined that more than 5,000 sites on the genome of muscle cells from the exercise leg now featured new methylation patterns. And some showed more methyl groups while others showed fewer. But the changes, however, were significant and there were no changes found in the unexercised leg. Now, many of the methylation changes were on portions of the genes known as enhancers that can amplify the expression of proteins by genes. And most of these genes in question are known to play a role in energy metabolism, insulin response, and inflammation within the muscles. So, in other words, these genes are the ones that affect how fit and how healthy our muscles become. And they were responding much better than in the unexercised leg in which there were no changes at all. So some really interesting stuff there when it comes to epigenetics. Now I want to talk for a minute about telomeres too, because telomeres are extremely important as well, especially when we're talking about how long we live. So now knowing, now knowing what epigenetics 
we can bit a bit deeper into looking at some research out of Sweden where they have said, and they've gone on record saying this, spending less time sitting might increase your lifespan by keeping your DNA young. The more time spent on your feet appears to lengthen bits of DNA called telomeres. Now, telomeres you've probably heard of. Um, they basically stop chromosomes from fraying or clumping together and scrambling the genetic codes that uh, these chromosomes contain. Protecting the end of the chromosomes, think of them kind of like the tips on a shoelace. You know when the shoelace and the tip comes off and all of a sudden all the, the, one, the one little shoelace there starts just becoming thousands of little strings? Well, it's the same sort of idea. We want to keep those telomeres long and strong. However, over time, they tend to get shorter and shorter until they can't sh shorten anymore, and then the cell dies. So research now points to the lengthening of our telomeres may be one primary mechanism to induce health benefits after lowering sitting time in elderly people. This was the first study. So what we're talking about here is the first study describing a possible relationship between physical activity and lengthening of telomeres. So Dr. David Katz, director of the Yale University Prevention and Research Center tells us, there has long been evidence that the more hours we spend sitting every day and the fewer days we are going to have, period. Spending hours per day on our backsides correlates with reductions in life expectancy. There has also been evidence that healthy living, including routine physical activity, can add significant years to your life. So there we have it, everybody. Just moving, just getting up and moving around, just not sitting, not standing still, not laying, not being static, is going to help keep one your telomeres longer help to keep your cells alive and b it's going to help um, with keeping your cells functioning properly making sure that it's receiving and being able to respond to healthy signals so there we go great reasons right down to the genetic dna level now let's get back up again let's go a little more macro a little more uh what we can kind of um you know, a little more, I guess, tangible for most people. Let's talk about heart health. And the heart health, the benefits are numerous, and most of them relate to the simple act that walking gets blood pumping without putting undue strain on the cardiovascular system. And there's even evidence to suggest that sustained running in comparison has very little effect on mortality rates. So that means that People who walk a lot has been shown to have better heart health and more longevity than people who run a lot, where running a lot has not been linked to, um, has not been linked to in decre increased mortality rates. So that's really interesting. So in a meta-analysis of studies performed 1970 and 2007, so over 37 years, it was found that regular walking reduced the likelihood of cardiovascular events, including angina, heart attack, heart failure, coronary artery bypass surgery, angioplasty, and stroke by as much as 31%. And according to the Stroke Association, a daily 30-minute stroll keeps high blood pressure in check, reducing the risk of suffering a stroke by up to 27%. 
Now, according to a study by the Harvard Medical School, walking for just 15 minutes a day can cut the risk of heart disease by 30%. And in fact, it's been said that walking regularly could save Americans alone over $100 billion a year in healthcare costs. So I want to tell you now a really interesting story that I found. And I think this is going to be a great story. So you have two scientists. And the, together, these scientists sifted through 4,295 articles published on walking from those 37 years. Now, 18 of these studies met their high standards for quality, meaning out of the 4,000, almost 300, they found 18 of them that they said met our extremely high standards for quality, so they got rid of the rest. Now, each of these studies collected information about the participants' walking habits and cardiovascular risk factors, such as age, smoking, and alcohol use. They were looking at a lot of different things as well. So where some studies might have just, you know, not been as detailed, they picked out the most detailed ones. And these participants were followed for 11.3 years. And during this time, their cardiovascular events and deaths were recorded. When the two scientists compiled this data, they found that simple daily walking reduced the risk of cardiovascular events by 31% and cut the risk of an early death by 32%. So those are some big numbers. We are talking a one-third reduction in cardiovascular events and one-third cutting the early risk of death. Now, of course, when it comes to diabetes prevention and, and reversing, we all know uh, that exercise helps to regulate blood sugar levels, uh, helps to up with the um, taking up of excess glucose into the muscles, lowering blood sugar. So we know when it comes to it, one of the best things a doctor can do if you're type two diabetes is telling you to exercise more. We don't have to spend a lot of time on that. I think most of us know that. So let's just jump right into cognitive health. Now. That is brain health for those of you that don't know the word cognitive. So we're talking about cognitive brain health right here. So the latest evidence on the power of walking comes out of Canada. Yay, Canada, where researchers discovered a link between cognitive brain function and low level aerobic exercise in people who suffered from a form of dementia. They took a group of 38 adults who suffered from vascular cognitive impairment, which is a cause of dementia, and they were monitored for six months. Those who took regular brisk strolls over the period amounting to only three hours of walking exercise per week displayed significantly improved levels of brain functions. The research also suggested that regular walks could diminish the chance of someone developing vascular cognitive impairment in the first place. So it would seem it's not just good for your heart, but can actually keep your brain fit as well. It appears that even moderate aerobic exercise gives the brain a significant cognitive boost. Now, the latest research out of the University of Illinois shows that brain circuitry is improved by exercise so much so that it can even help reverse some age-related declines in brain function. Now, in a study, that included 65 adults ranging in ages from 59 to 80 years old. They took them and put them in the two groups. One that started walking on their own pace for 40 minutes, three times a week. And one, a second group that did stretching and toning exercises. So this is stretching and, you know, your bicep curls and your tricep dips, you know, your typical just 
kind of lower level fitness gym exercise. And all of the participants reported living a sedentary lifestyle with no regular exercise prior to this study. So what the researchers did is they used MRIs to measure the brain activity across various regions that work together in networks. One year after the study began, the connections within the networks were markedly improved in the brains of those in the walking group, while those who did stretching and toning showed no changes at all. So there you have it. The people who just did a walk, the seniors who just did a walk, showed markedly improved brain function compared to those who were just doing your typical uh, regular, you know, toning exercises and your basic stretching. So for a minute there, now let's talk, stay on the brain, let's talk about the DMN or the default mode network, which is an important circuit of the brain. We might as well talk about that while we're talking about networks in the brain. So the DMN controls the brain activity where a person is not actually engaging in anything, such as when you're daydreaming or when you're sitting back and just passively watching something. The DMN tends to weaken with age as the different parts of the brain make up its circuitry, no longer work together in harmony. And medical studies have shown that people with Alzheimer's disease, for instance, have lower levels of connectivity in the DMN or default mode network. Now, when the brain is young and healthy, the DMN can rapidly stop activity to another circuit in the brain. For instance, when you stop daydreaming and you start engaging in a different activity. However, with older people and those with Alzheimer's, it's been seen that uh, they have trouble shifting out of using the DMN in, into a more occupying undertaking. What does that mean? Well, that just means that it takes longer for them to switch the tasks or their thoughts. So people with a younger, stronger DMN are able to you know, turn one off and go refocus on something else very instantly. Where, however, as people get older, they develop some of these cognitive uh, issues with it. What happens is it takes longer. There's a much slower process between daydreaming and say coming back to reality. So there's gonna be you know, maybe a fog or a, any, a few moments of just not really, not really being with it. So numerous studies have found that peoples of all ages, but especially the elderly, benefit from exercise through vastly better connections of the circuitry of the brain, including the DMN. It also improves the network that allows us to handle complex tasks, strategize, plan, and prioritize. Now, interestingly, those people in the walking group of the study had significantly increased connections through the DMN as well as regions of the brain that oversee organization and they perform considerably better on cognitive uh, tests than their toning and stretching peers. So there we go, guys, when it comes to walking and the brain. I mean, I don't know how much more we can say about that. I mean, I think, I think we're starting to get the point, at least I hope we're starting to get the point, that you know, walking is extremely good. But we're not done. We are a long way from done here, okay? For those of you that are saying, yeah, but... I still don't, there's still not enough proof that I should bother putting on my shoes and going for a 10 minute walk. Well, we got another half a podcast to get through here.
So, keep it on with the brain. Actually, I'd like to talk, I was gonna get off the brain, but actually there's one more study I wanna talk about because this one's really interesting and it has to do with nurses. So, in a study known as the Nurses Health Study that began in 1976, it tracked the health habits and physical activity levels of 121,700 female registered nurses, all aged between 30 and 35, uh, th sorry, 30 and 55 years old over two years. To date, the study has maintained following up more than 90% of the original participants. So to date, they have managed to keep up with 90% of that 121,700 uh, uh, nurses. Now, analysis of the data done at Harvard concentrated on the self-reported exercise habits of nearly 20,000 of those former nurses who had reached the ages between 70 and 81. What they found was a direct correlation between activity levels and cognitive abilities. The more active the women were, the higher they scored on cognitive testing and the less cognitive decline they demonstrated. And then finally, in a claim that we can't reasonably argue against, a Canadian study found that those who lead a sedentary life have the same risk of developing dementia as those who carry the gene mutation, making them disposed to the generative disease. So people who have a genetic default to get, develop, I should say, dementia, people who are sedentary have the exact same risk as the people with the gene. So there you go. Now you got a double whammy coming at you if you have the gene and you don't exercise. So trust me, you don't know if you have the gene. I don't know if you have the gene. Maybe I have the gene. I don't know. We don't know. The fact is you should be out there and exercising in case you do have it. Okay. And you should be out there exercising in case you don't have it. So you don't have the same risk as somebody who perhaps does has it. So this guy's like I said, guys, girls, this is powerful stuff we're talking about here, right? Am I right? Of course. So let's talk about immunity. Walking can help protect you during cold and flu season. A study of over 1,000 men and women found that those who walked at least 20 minutes of a day, five days a week, had 43% fewer sick days than those who exercised once a week or less. And the ones that did spend all that time walking, if they did get sick, it was reportedly for shorter duration and their symptoms were much milder. While conversely, the more sedentary participants reported twice as many days ill as their more frequently walking counterparts. Other studies have shown that there's a large relationship between regular exercise and improved ability to fend off cold viruses. For example, in research done in 2006 at the Fred Hutchison Cancer Research Center in Seattle, subjects were a hundred, they had 115 postmenopausal women who were overweight and did little physical activity. They then divided this group of 115 uh, women into two groups. The first group began a fitness routine of walking and some other moderate forms of exercise for only 30 minutes each day, while the second group performed stretching exercises uh, once a week for 45 minutes. 
The researchers had actually set out to examine other health issues in older women, but they were surprised to find when they discovered a noticeable difference between how often uh, the women in the two groups came down with colds. The women doing the stretching exercises only were stricken with colds twice as often during the same year study as the women that did the walking. No other changes were made to the women's eating habits or any other lifestyles. In the last three months of the study, the disparity between the two groups of women and their resistance to illness grew even larger. By the end of the year, the women who were only stretching had three times more colds than the walkers, suggesting that the benefits of regular aerobic exercise only increases in time. Why then does walking improve immunity? Well, the connection between a regular walking routine and resistance to germs most likely has to do the effect with aerobic exercise on the body's immune system. Every time you exercise, it increases an influx of antibodies as well as neutrophils, a form of white blood cells that help kill invading organisms and natural killer cells, another type of white blood cell which help the body destroy tumors and viruses. Walking has also been shown to help lower anxiety and cortisol hormones and lower inflammational markers, all which raise immunity significantly. Now let's talk about weight control. Walking counteracts the effects of weight-promoting genes. Harvard research took, looked at 32 obese-promoting genes in over 12,000 people to determine how much these genes actually contribute to body weight. They discovered that those uh, among the study who walked briskly for about an hour a day, the effects of those genes were cut in half. And also for sweet tooth, a pair of studies from the University of Exeter found that 15 minute walk can cut cravings for chocolate and even reduce the amount of chocolate you eat in stressful situations. And the latest research also confirms that walking can reduce cravings and the intake of sugary snacks. Knowing all this now, knowing why, you know, we need to walk more, um, which we're going to discuss even more. We're going to talk about cancer for a few minutes. Um, I want to talk really quickly, though, you know, you're probably getting a little tired of hearing all the statistics. So we're going to take a little bit of a break and talk about do you need to take 10,000 steps? We've all heard about the 10,000 steps. But where did that come from? Who decided this? Was it a scientific study? Well, no. And in fact, it's actually a lot of BS. The origins of the 10,000 steps recommendation are in no way scientific. Pedometers sold in Japan in the 1960s were marketed under the name Manoki, which translates to 10,000 steps meter. The gimmicky name, like as in is often the case, resonated largely with the public and gained popularity within Japanese walking groups, which of course we've already said the Japanese love to walk. However, uh, there's no scientific evidence behind the 10,000 steps. But saying this, studies conducted since then uh, suggest that people who increase their walking to 10,000 steps a day experience health benefits. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, one of the things about walking is if a little bit of walking is great for you, more is going to be better. So is doing 10,000 steps uh, a great yes for sure but it's not scientific we don't have to the fact is we just have to get walking more and we'll give you a little more detail so 
Interestingly, though, one study found that women who increased their step count to nearly 10,000 steps a day recruit, uh, reduced their blood pressure after 24 weeks. And in another study of overweight women, they found that walking 10,000 steps a day improved their glucose level. However, what we instead of thinking about 10,000 steps a day, what we want to do is we want to look at just activity in general and some recommendations. And the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they suggest and they recommend that adults engage in 150 minutes of moderate activity per week, such as brisk walking, meaning that you only really need to walk about seven to 8,000 steps a day to meet the CDC's recommendations. So to put it on a time basis, if you normally walk about the Western average of around 5,000 steps, like I said, the US was somewhere around 4,700, Canada was about 4,800, then uh, you only need to do about an extra 30 to 35 minutes of walking uh, into your day to get you up to that 8,000. So we're looking more in that 7,000 to 8,000 range. What I would say is this right now, okay? People, that this is the problem that we always do. We're walking an average 4,800 steps per day. We are told we have to do 10,000, so we go from 4,800 to 10,000 in one day. Now that's just gonna set you up to be tired. It's gonna set you up for sore knees, sore feet. Just try adding in 1,000 steps. Just do an extra 1,000, do a 10-minute walk. You know, so just add in a 10-minute walk right now. So starting tomorrow, whatever it is, add 10 minutes. Now, in a couple weeks, Add 10 minutes to that 10 minutes. So now you're doing an additional 20 minutes of walking. Then work your way up until you're hitting that extra 30 to 35 minutes of walking. So from 4,008, 5,000, go to 5,008. For 5,008, go to 6,008. From 6,008, go to 7,008, and you are there. So I just wanted to touch on that really quickly, letting you know that you do not have to do 10,000. Put the pedometers away. Just try to do more walking than you're doing right now. Um, at the end, we're going to talk about some other little suggestions I have as well. Now, let's talk for a few minutes about cancer. And an American Cancer Society study zeroed in on walking found that women who walked seven or more hours a week had a 14% lower risk of breast cancer than those who walked three or fewer hours per week. And walking provided protection even for women with breast cancer risk factors, such as being overweight and using supplementary hormones. Now, according to a 2012 Harvard study, women's health study, walking for one to three hours a week reduces the risk of breast and uterine cancer by almost 19%. And if these women push themselves a bit further and walk for three to five hours a week, they could reduce the risk of breast and uterine cancer uh, by almost 54%. So again, we are talking some very low investment exercise and some very powerful payoffs. Now, I hope you're listening over there in the Philippines because this is extremely resonating and important for you in the Philippines to know because earlier I mentioned that there were a few countries that were doing extremely bad on the walking side. So let's take a look at that. Let's put this together. Let's think about this for a minute. Philippines, you have a 500% higher rate of breast cancers amongst uh, with your women 
than the next closest country in the world. So if we look at breast cancer rates, then you are 500% higher than the next closest country to you. So that means you have five times the incidence of breast cancer than any other country on the planet. Now, interestingly, in the study that looked at a lot of countries and their activity level, you came in as the fourth laziest country in the world. So think about that. You have five times the amounts of breast cancer um, diagnosis in your country, and you are the fourth laziest country, meaning you move the least on the planet Earth. So I'm just going to leave that with you, and you can decide what you want to do about that, but I think I know what I would do. I would start walking more. Speaking of walking, where should we be walking? Well, outside. Now, there's no studies necessarily. They didn't really, from what I understand, none of these studies talked about whether you're walking inside or outside, but let's talk about why you want to be walking outside. Because we need more vitamin D. We need more sunshine. We need fresh air. You don't need to be in there in the air con, you know? You don't need to be in there in the air conditioning, breathing in all those chemicals and cleans and all those different freons and everything else. You should be out there breathing in some clean air. But the sun, the sun is what we're talking about right now. Sun gives you vitamin D and so many people, even people in the equators, people out there playing soccer in Florida, Okay, they have been found to be vitamin D deficient. Why is that a problem? Well, because being vitamin D deficient has been shown to increase numbers of risks for numbers of cancers. Vitamin D deficient has been shown to cause severe problems with immunity. People with their vitamin D deficient have a hard time losing weight and a hard time building muscle. And people with low vitamin D have a hard time controlling good sleeping cycles. Definitely want to make sure we are taking those walks outside, guys, particularly the morning walks, okay? You want to be walking in the morning within 30 minutes of waking up because, we, first of all, we want to get those circadian rhythms reset, meaning that melatonin cycle. If you get sunlight in the morning, you are going to have a stronger melatonin signal at night as long as you're avoiding proper nighttime light hygiene. Also, the morning has the least amount of pollution. There's not a lot of cars running around shooting out their exhaust yet, so the morning is a great time uh, to go for walks, particularly if you live in urban environments where there's lots of cars and trucks. The morning has also been shown to have more negative ions in the air mostly from the dew overnight, the cooler uh, wet air, negative ions, of course, been shown to decrease depression and increase just your feelings of being happy, which we talk about uh, when we get into forest bathing on the next episode. Also, additional blood glucose by enhancing, um, by helping, sorry, additional blood glucose by balancing and promoting muscles to start up sooner. So we get up in the morning, we start moving around. We're gonna get our muscles working earlier in the morning. We're gonna get them moving sooner. And of course, muscles will be taking that extra blood sugar. So we're helping to burn extra calories and also helping to balance those blood sugar. And finally, it allows you to center your thoughts and start the day de-stress. I've talked about it before. The morning walk, just taking a walk is a great way to de-stress, particularly if you're not one of those people that likes to do anything like meditation. Taking just that quiet morning walk for 10, 15 minutes is a great way just to get yourself to balance. Now, speaking of walking, 
Have any of you tried grounding or barefoot walking? Again, we touch on this next week, but I want to talk about it a little bit right now, too. If you saw my uh, video I made when I was in India uh, about a month ago, I did. I was at a uh, meditation retreat, and what I did there is I would do lots of barefoot walking in the wet grass, also known as grounding. So while you're getting in the habit of a daily walk, choose a spot that's suitable for barefoot walking, like a grassy park or a sandy beach, and give it a shot. The feet have over 200 sensory nerves. And think about it, these nerves are always on mute because you're wearing socks and shoes. It is literally like wearing gloves on your hands for 16 hours a day, except on your feet. Walking barefoot strengthens the muscles in the feet, which help to improve your balance, your coordination, and even total body strength. In addition, walking is also believed to help your body absorb free electrons from the earth through the soles of your feet in a practice known as grounding. And these electrons are said to have powerful antioxidant effects that can protect your body from inflammation and its many well-documented health consequences. For example, one scientific review published in the Journal of Environmental and Public Health concluded that grounding, or i.e. walking barefoot on the earth, could improve a number of health conditions including cancers, joint pain, improving sleep, lowering stress, moderating your heart rate variability, and slowing aging. In a quote by Jim McFarland, a professor of physiology at the University of New England, he says, earthing should not be written off as a new age trend for hippies. A small body of evidence, including randomized control studies, has suggested that earthing produces small but significant benefits such as reducing blood pressure, boosting the immune system, and it also seems to have some anti-inflammatory effects. While a study published in the Journal of Health in 2015 found that even one hour contact with the earth significantly enhanced blood flow, which leads to improved skin health and tissue repair, while a 2011 study of the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine found that earthing might be a factor in regulating both the endocrine and nervous systems. So does it hurt to kick off your shoes? I guess this is what it gets down to. Does it really hurt to kick off your shoes? No, not at all. Even if you're somewhat skeptical of the, say, the antioxidant theories, like I am, I'm not going to deny that the antioxidant one sounds a little bit weird to me. You can't deny that the stress-free feeling and just how good it feels just to kick off your shoes. I am barefoot all the time. I'm barefoot right now. I never wear shoes. In fact, it's almost like a running joke with people when it comes to me with shoes. I hate shoes. I just love the feeling of bare feet. I cannot, next time you're wearing your shoes and you're at the gym and you take them off, just focus for a minute on how your feet actually feel inside those wet, sweaty, damp shoes. And when you take off your socks and that cool air hits your feet, just think about that for a minute and how amazing that just feels. And then ask yourself, why do I just not do this? a lot more, there's nothing stopping me. There's nothing stopping you from sitting on your desk at work, kicking off your socks and your shoes. There, there's nothing stopping you from walking around barefoot. I mean, I do it all the time. I've done it when I worked at a store, I did it. When I worked at, the, when I worked at gyms, I've done it. Uh, it's, it's not that bizarre and believe me, it's actually catching on. But the last gym I was at, I think by the time I left, the last gym I was working at, 
at least three of the other trainers were walking around barefoot all the time as well. So um, it doesn't hurt and it can only do better fits. Obviously, just make sure you don't step on any glass. So Shinrin-yoku. What is Shinrin-yoku? Well, from 2004 to 2012, Japanese officials spent about $4 million studying the physiological and psychological effects of Shinrin-goku or forest bathing. And they designed 48 therapy trails based on the results. Ching Li, a professor at Nippon Medical School in Tokyo, measured the activity of human natural killer cells in the immune system before and after exposure to the woods. These cells provide rapid response to viral infected cells and respond to tumor formation and are associated with immune system health and cancer prevention. In 2009 study, Lee's subjects showed a significant increase in the natural killer cell activity in the weeks after forest bathing visit. And the positive effects lasted up to a month following each weekend in the woods. So how does the white blood cell go up, you might be asking, just from sitting around in some trees? Well, this is due to the various essential oils, generally called phytocides, found in wood, plants, and some fruits and vegetables, which trees emit to protect themselves from germs and insects. Now, forest air literally then does not just feel fresher and smell fresher, the inhaling the phytocides seems to actually improve our immune system function. Scientists suggest that we take in beneficial substances when we breathe in the forest air from three major inhaled factors. One, beneficial bacteria. Two, the plant-derived essential oils that I just spoke about. And three, as I mentioned earlier, negatively charged ions. The good bacteria they talk about interact with our bodies, particularly our guts dwelling bacteria. We get boosts of health and happiness. And there's an ever growing body of evidence that our gut has major influences on both our physical and mental well-being. Research has shown that our guts influence our metabolism, immune function, and mental health. And I've talked about this before. They are now calling the gut the second brain. And the gut is responsible for 90% of the serotonin in our body. And serotonin, of course, we know is the feel-good hormone. So if you have bad gut health, you have low serotonin, you're a depressed, sad, angry person. So they head out there, get into those trees. Now, the negative ions, as I mentioned too, they improve mood, lower stress, and some studies show that can even reduce seasonal affective disorder, also known as sad. So, can't get to the forest? Well then, why don't you just bring the forest to you? Lee tested his theory that the smell of cypress helps lower stress and subsequently uh, put subjects in their hotel room, some with the benefits of cypress aromatherapy, some without. And interestingly, those who sniffed the phytocides from the cypress smell experienced significant drops in stress hormones and boosted immune cell activity. So you don't necessarily have to go to the forest, go out there, grab some pine cones, grab some uh, natural cypress smell and bring it to you. Just don't use those eight glade air fresheners. Do not use the artificial stuff, okay? This isn't car air freshener pine saw. This is, this is the real stuff, okay? So try to bring some of that to you. Get some uh, Cypress Aromatherapy Essential Oils. Now, here was, uh, this, is the, this is what I can say from that. 
all of you paleo, caveman, CrossFit types, you know, the weather out there being all, I'm all, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, I'm a caveman, I'm ancestral man training. Well, I think now I can safely say you, my friends, are faking the paleo life. If you're doing all your training inside under fluorescent lights with Glade air fresheners and air conditioners, you know, it may be more uh, beneficial for you if you move on to something a little more like Movnat. You know, maybe get out there and start throwing around some rocks and lifting some, uh, and, and you know, lifting some logs. So for all the guys that are out there, you know, you, know, you paleo styles and, you know, the caveman, he, he didn't have warehouse gyms, okay? The caveman had forests, he had parks, he had, you know, he didn't have parks. He had fields and forests. So get out there, guys, start rocking that. So understand this while i'm talking about this and kind of making fun of you uh, paleo uh, paleo fitness people throughout human evolution we've spent 99 percent of our time in natural environments now over 70 percent of people in north america live in urbanized areas and we're spending less time in nature than we have in human history and nature best recreation in north america has declined by roughly 35 percent in just the past 40 years. And I can honestly tell you, I don't think it's getting much better. We are constantly building more and more things to keep us inside and keep us tagged down to technology. But like I said at the beginning of the podcast, we have known about the health benefits of nature for walking now for a long time. Now our man Hippocrates, he comes up here yet again. And he had a belief in connecting with nature that he referred to as the vis medetrix naturae, or the healing power of nature. And strolling through the park or forest bathing is just that. It's an opportunity to tap into the inherent healing power of nature from encouraging a healthy microbiome uh, to breathing in oxygen-rich air. It is just where we belong. So get out there, guys. Get some cool air get some negative ions get some uh, essential uh, cypress oils going through your blood um get some of that sunlight get some vitamin d going so how can we make walking more fun and more accessible because right now now you're saying oh, okay i get it i get it i get it Walking's important i have to start doing it uh, i'm really i'm stupid for not doing it because it's a zero cost and with a high high payout so some of the best ways you can do it okay try going out there and listening to a podcast listen to this listen to this while you're walking now this has been a long podcast you could probably take you could probably save this podcast for at least three maybe four walks so try listening to a podcast an audio book or bust out some of your favorite music i've been listening to myself to the new liam gallagher now liam gallagher and noel gallagher both brought out new cds but i'm just going to say this out now right now liam gallagher's destroys noel gallagher's cd sorry noel love you but liam Liam, he, he ran over you this time. But I've been listening to you know, Liam's, uh, Liam's album, and it's just great. I've been listening to that a lot while I'm taking some walk. You could also try doing, uh, give yourself a little walking challenge. Set up a speed or distance, or do something, you know, take a long walk, and then just take the bus or train home. Sometimes I do that. There's two walks I go on. One is a shorter one where I walk and I turn around. The other one is a longer one where I walk literally double or sometimes triple. And then what I do is I just jump on the, uh, the train to come back home. Um, because, you know, I want to go on about a 30-minute walk, but if I walk 30 minutes straight up, then it's going to turn into an hour walk. So I'll do that. And, you know, like I said, just try turning into a challenge. 
Also, maybe get a friend out there. Get a friend and meet up with them and say, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's just do some walking together. It's a lot more fun when you have some company. Uh, and, and, you know, you can, like, what I do with my friend is we both have uh, our music on and we have an, an ear, you know, we have one ear in and the other one while we're talking. So we have a little bit of background music while we're having our conversation. Also, you know, set up a goal. Set up a, give yourself a little reward. Uh, walk to the coffee shop. Go there, walk, get a cup of coffee or get a cup of green tea. I mean, the, the health benefits, uh, again, Dr. Dr. Uh, Chopper, we can thank him for coming to us with the health benefits of coffee. So go get out some, uh, go for walks. You get the walk, you get the bud pumping, you get some caffeine in you, you get some coffee in you, which is going to help decrease a whole bunch of other stuff uh, when it comes to illnesses. And you're getting that vitamin D. So nothing wrong with taking a walk in the sun to get a cup of coffee. Uh, and then other things such as simply, you know, don't use the car or the bicycle, the motorbike, whatever it is to go for everything. You know, go get your groceries uh, walk there, go to the store, you know, walk, back in the old days, you would walk to, you know, Blockbuster Video, you don't do that anymore, but just, just walk, walk to the mall, just start walking more to places that you would normally drive to. If it is a 15 minute walk or less for you to get there, that's what, that could be about a kilometer, right? So get out there and just walk to it instead. Give yourself that little bit of extra time. So, in finishing, I really want you to just understand, guys, that it's all about movement and not being static. Other things you can do, like I said, uh, multi-level workstations are a must as well. Now, as I said at the very beginning, make sure you listen to the next episode of the Thrive Life Podcast with Julia Plevin, where we talk about forest bathing and we jump into a lot more details how to do forest bathing what exactly it is how to get involved with forest bathing and why forest bathing is now what yoga was 30 years ago hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the thrive life podcast again make sure you go to my website roaralexander.com to keep up with me and through all my different uh, social media platforms as well especially youtube lots of videos on there and i will talk to you guys again very soon with julia plevin